Is that Dire Straits who was that? Yeah. I mean, I guess you sort of expect that from a song that its main message is. What is its main message? I th- I see. I think it's a a critique of consumerism. Oh, interesting. We got the movies, color TV. Interesting. Oh, microwave oven, custom kitchen delivery. I tell you what, Dire Straits I think is are extremely underrated though. Do you, you like them? Hell yeah, dude. What was the guy's name who played guitar in that group? Oh, fuck, what's his name? Um, he's a good guitar player. I'll give him that. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. I'll give him that. God damn, man. I've given up all hope of trying to get this mass of chords unraveled beneath my feet. <laughs> my house is a mess, man. I think it's fine. I had an extremely traumatic experience last night. Go on. Um, I came home after we were at Summit, and for days I've been smelling something kind of weird in this house. And I, you know, you asked me the other day. Yeah, I was like, does it kind of have a smell to it? Like something might be dead in here. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, stench I've, of death. I've had some horror stories lately about the cats bringing shit in, um, and having to mercy kill a few animals here and there. But I've really learned a lot about decomposition. My my, so my you know the body farm down in the University of uh, Tennessee yeah, under Neyland Stadium yeah where they study decomposition of yeah. humans well I've learned a lot about it's the not de- really under Neyland Stadium that's like an urban legend <laughs> but is it really yeah but it's still fun to say that I th- well it's just, it's it does exist though right yeah it does exist they they basically it, it does exist but the urban legend is that it actually is under the football <laughs> stadium <laughs> okay all right um, well. Uh, you know in that Batman movie um, with Bane, didn't they like blow up the football field? Yeah. What, what if they did that at the University of Tennessee and there's just a bunch of dead bodies out there? <laughs> Vince Foster's under there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, my house has become a sort of um, laboratory for studying decomposition. And I'll tell you something that I've learned. This is going to gross out. I Even bet, I bet you, I bet you have to beat the women off with a stick, don't you? <laughs> you know that, you know that meme that's like, "Damn, bitch, you live like this." You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> that, that my my house, the version of that is just like dead things everywhere. It's really not that bad. It's really it's not the that body bad. farm, but for small woodland creatures. Well, I've learned that um, amphibians, like frogs and stuff. When they die and like sit out, they don't decompose the same way that mammals do. Before you go any further, have you heard uh, Saw Baby, like the rapper? Uh-uh. He's got a song called Marsupial Superstars, which is really kind of a cool title. It's a very cool song. Yeah. But in this one, like, he's like, I want to fuck an amphibian. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out what he means by that. I'm sure it's got something to do with like, you know... Uh, some sort of big ticket well it's a consumer product but yeah you're probably right but at the same time you know we're you know that that saying that kind of stuff it's pretty big in rap now yeah so um well, saw baby if you're out there you can 
Hit us Ex- up. Ex- inclined, ex- yeah, explain ex- your explain yourself. <laughs> mysticism. Um, yeah, no, an amphibian will just sort of like get really hard and like not actually decompose, but a mammal, chipmunk, a squirrel. What'd you find, buddy? Dude, I found a fucking. You know, I couldn't even look at it long enough because it was in an advanced stage of decomposition. <laughs> and I kept having to tell myself, because I'd been smelling it for a few days, but what it was, was it was back behind my record player, uh-huh. back there, and I had some Amazon boxes back there, and I looked back there, and I was like, I can't fucking find anything. But I'd also had some uh, wrapping paper, you know, for like Christmas wrapping, present wrapping so, paper. So basically your cats treated this creature that you're getting ready to name like uh uh-huh. andrew cunanan treated that chicago millionaire <laughs> like just wrapped him up in a fucking rug and pretty much they wrapped him up in some uh present wrapping <laughs> dude it but before but but as soon as i stuck my head back there i knew um so they must have brought it in, in the last like maybe three days or so because you know it, it, what deteriorates that fast uh, just like a what was it? It was like a chipmunk or a squirrel. Oh. Again, I couldn't tell because I didn't want to know. Yeah. Um, but um, I think it was a squirrel. But have you considered just making these house cats? They're <laughs> 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 really doing a number on the <laughs> flora and fauna of the. I feel the area. very bad about it. I've tried. Okay, so for all the people out there being like. You dumbass! Why don't you just leave them outside so they can't come in, or why don't you just leave them outside so they can't come out, or why don't you put a bell on their? I've tried all of these things. No well, does. I can't leave them inside because I live in a cabin and it's too small. I can't leave them outside because they're my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I can't put bells oh. on them because I've tried that, and it don't, like they always fucking manage to find a way to get them off. Not that one. Uh, B is a dumbass. <laughs> um, she brings in pine cones and shit. That's her. Uh, That's her bait. <laughs> yeah. But Leon is a stone cold murderer. Anyways, anyways, it fucked me up. It really fucked me up. But as soon as it was out of the house, I was like, man, I can think a lot better now. <laughs> you gotta smudge this place. Well, you know, there's something about that smell though, that like. I told myself going into it, I'm like, Terrence, you're a scientist. Think about this in a scientific way. It doesn't have to be traumatic or whatever. You just, like, think about it. Detach yourself intellectually. Didn't help that. No, because the smell is really what it is. The smell of decomposition. There is nothing like it. (laughs) When I decompose, I'm going to smell like baby wipes. (laughs) Speak, yeah. speak for yourself, you rotten <laughs> motherfucker. So did you um, enjoy the show last night? The, uh, mo- the Moth Radio Air? Um, I'll tell you this. I think that's why I was telling a friend of ours, I was saying that uh, I've spent so much time in the last year trafficking on like the mean, cruel world of left Twitter uh-huh. that I just couldn't even enjoy the earnestness of it. I was just totally <laughs> cool-facing it the whole time. <laughs> but these people were like, you know, coming up with these life lessons. Was- and my favorite was like the guy that got wrongfully convicted and went to jail for 11 years. Yeah. 
And he's telling the story at the end about the cop pulling him right. over in Missouri. Right. And, like, at the end, they had, like, this human moment around the Grand Canyon or yeah. whatever. Like, they both wanted to, the, the guy had been to the Grand Canyon. The cop wanted to go. And he goes, in that moment, my hate for cops went away. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you turned to me afterwards. You said, buddy, don't you know the cops are the one people you can hate? Yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay to hate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was laughing though this morning in the shower thinking about that story like could, could you imagine if it wasn't an if it was still equally as earnest but had a really weird sort of sociopathic bent to it like if that story was like so uh, I spent 11 years in prison um, wrongfully convicted for a crime I did not commit um, and for years decades I hung on to this guilt you know and or to this hatred i hung on to this hatred and it's what propelled me um and then so you know i i started going to these conferences and learning about wrongful convictions and everything and you said wrongful uh, wrongful conventions wrongful conventions (laughs) (laughs) i was and and uh and one day i was just driving on a rural road in rural oregon and i came across a man and his young and his son and their car broke down and so I got out, and I and I, and and then and that's and then in that moment, that's when it hit me that the crime I was con- convicted for doing was something that I always kind of wanted to do myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I murdered the guy. I made the kid watch, and then I murdered him. <laughs> and then their bodies are buried in a little roadside ditch. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. But I've already did my time for it. I pre. <laughs> I, what if you could pre-do your time for crimes? <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd be good. <laughs> the whole crowd's like, yeah. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know what would be cool, too, is if, like, the whole thing was bullshit, and, like, when he's telling his story, it's, like, verbatim what happens in a movie. <laughs> Everybody's like, like, what? It's like... <laughs> And so uh, my child was the <laughs> victim of a violent crime, and it was my fault. And I took out these three billboards <laughs> outside Ebbing, this town called Ebbing, right. Missouri. A dingo stole my baby. <laughs> I was convicted of killing it, but oh man, yeah, no, I, I feel you on that on the whole jaded thing because like that's the kind of stuff i was thinking about during the whole thing everybody was like oh this is fucking great and i was like damn imagine if like college sheikh muhammad got to tell a story at the moth i was like and that's how i did 9-11 everybody's like yeah he found himself Uh, dude uh, man i tell you what libs love bad guys that rehab themselves <laughs> yeah. that is one thing they fucking get off on right if you're if you even act like you're contrite and learn some sort of lesson about it and can tell it at the moth mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you did 9-11 <laughs> they will they will forgive you right right even like like um it's 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 stuff but like they'll also turn on you on the dime too it's like Gaddafi. like we know now that Gaddafi probably didn't have anything to do with well, I think he's confirmed he didn't have anything to do with Lockerbie bombing and right. all this kind of shit. Right, like, right, right. He just had two leaky barrels of mustard gas. Yeah, and, right. But then, like, he kind of rehabbed himself in the international community, even though he, like, mm-hmm. really wasn't that bad to begin with. Oh, and then they turned on him. And then they turned on him again. <laughs> then Hillary Clinton, that fucking psychopath. Yeah. 
Yeah, that fucking turned on him again when they were of no use. When he was of no use in the right. region till. I want to hear a a, a coal miner who voted for Trump. This uh, this goes back to my. I want to hear a moth story about the Bathurst coal miner. That was such a good tweet, man. That should really take off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Bathurst. I'm a coal miner. <laughs> and hell no, I don't regret my vote for Trump. <laughs> Oh shit! Because I was thinking last night, I was like, "How? What is the funniest identity to tack on to a a coal miner? Someone who supported Saddam Hussein in the eighties and nineties, and also voted for Trump and is adamant about not apologizing for it. If you don't like it, leave. Well, dude, it's funny how we were joking about that the other day, like the whole." Um, uh, the whole like media search for the coal miner unicorn because it's I've, I've really got to thinking about it and this is kind of one of those situations where like the libs laid the groundwork for that you know and the best examples are like that de- that guy that the thoughtful coal miner or like or that fucking guy we gotta talk about that guy <laughs> so stick a pin in that yeah 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 but I mean like they kind of like Look, listen to the whole uh, the, his name itself, the thoughtful coal miner. But it's like, but anyways, the point being is that like they're trying to tack on identities to coal miners that like you wouldn't really necessarily expect for some larger sort of like message about people contain multitudes ideology and about like what motivates people. And yeah. I don't know, it's just really bizarre to me. Uh, that that uh, he had a post the other day that um fucking was hilarious. The the thoughtful coal miner now now whose blog is now that's how fucking late this bastard is thoughts of now, a coal he's, miner. now it's just thoughts of a coal miner like after years of this dumbass of like, exploiting the notion that like coal miners don't really actually have, have opinions right they don't really themselves. have rich interior lives yeah <laughs> yeah yeah fuck you Nick Mullins but, let's say that right now but the funny thing is is like he had this post the other day that was so goddamn stupid um and a lot of people do this a lot of uh, activists I've noticed this a lot of activists in Appalachia do this because um they don't know what side they're all pretty much opportunists including me in some ways yeah. they don't know like where to fall in the sort of um triangulation thing yeah. and so um a, th- a thing that I see a lot is the um leftist who um thinks that environmental environmental organizing is uh was detrimental to the larger leftist project and as a result um, uses things like the environmental movement itself protesting mountaintop removal um that whole sort of scene to suggest that it's like anti-worker yeah yeah <laughs> which is a, a a really hilarious notion because basically what you're saying is that like some parts of the working class's interests in and and um uh whatever is superior to those of another part of the working class. So basically right. you're saying that like one part of the working class must sacrifice its land and health and shit for the fucking noble coal miner who goes to work every day and like Put food on the table. Hello, West Virginia coal miner. <laughs> <laughs> work a 40-hour week for a living. Yeah. Just send it on down the line. I'm going to blow your mind. Like, you don't have to actually break it down into that kind of dichotomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, <dude. laughs> 
<laughs> it's so absurd. He's such a fucking crap. I mean, it's and he's not the only one. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to talk about some of those people, but yeah, I just like to get that out in front and say fuck Nick Mullins. Yeah. No, I mean, um, it's there's been a little cottage industry of people who um have really sort of like um tried to play both sides of the fence. Like the environmentalists came in here and they ruined everything, and they. You know, they they put divisions up in the community, and there's a reason the coal industry uh, not only went under, but why the reactionary Friends of Coal campaign was so uh, virulent and successful and all this. It's like, fuck off. That's that's one of the worst opinions they can come across. (laughs) Also, you're just setting this thing up to where, like, people have to choose between their health, their land, and their livelihood. Right, right. And that's like... What what are you getting at? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Th- th- their health, their land, and um, the notion that it's like that, like reactionary coal miners exist, and that they, uh, we should therefore like, I don't know, I haven't fully thought this one out, but it's like, I don't know, the the I, the notion of it, the idea of it, is a false dichotomy. That'll that'll blow your mind too. There's reactionary coal miners. <laughs> those those don't exist. They're <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the other thing too. It's it's sort of been lost in this whole like weird valorization of coal miners. Yeah, it's like we shouldn't really gloss over like shitty reactionary opinions either. Because but we should also acknowledge that they are not exclusive to working people yeah. either you know well, dude one of the things that pisses me off so much about that that type of grift um that maybe we should come up with the name of that because i have a really good i'll stick a pin on that but the one of the thing that pisses me off about that type of grift is that it's like um and i've experienced this a lot people who um basically say that like just because um a certain person wants clean water and like n- to not have mountains reduced to piles of rubble and to not risk getting cancer just from drinking the fucking water yeah. that you're um that you are creating an archetype that the reactionary friends of coal campaign can then point to and say there's your enemy and so therefore we should not buy into that archetype we should not care we should not put so much emphasis on these things we should dehippify ourselves and and all this other stuff it's just like it's a common example of having a conversation on the right wing's terms yeah exactly right and it's and it's just like fuck I don't know you don't have to do that you don't have to have a conversation on their terms you believe in what you believe in you stake out your space and then you try to expand it and build on top of it and organize more people to work towards some sort of like larger goal I don't know it just doesn't it doesn't feel like but the thing is is if you acknowledge that then the whole grift would be invalid people can't make money on it they can't fucking do the little goddamn blogs called doffel coal miner or whatever and so therefore um and so therefore yeah it would render it all invalid and then people wouldn't get their paychecks (laughs) and the transition economy would crumble the transition economy is largely pasted together by grift yeah well that's a good 
I mean, in that, in so much that it even exists at all, which it really doesn't. <laughs> but, but I'm saying there's a cottage industry, like you say. That's a good word for it. Well, I've got a good word for it. I've got a good term for it that I came up with last night. <laughs> going to the, your legal pad. I'm notes. going to my legal pad notes. <laughs> You and Tanya always make fun of me because of my legal pad, goddammit. Listen, this is what drives this show. That's true. This is the fuel of this show. That's the, that's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> yeah, you know in Back to the Future? Do you ever watch Back to the Future? Dude, I, I used to love Back to the Future. Uh-huh. And I had a traumatic experience losing my virginity. Kind of. <laughs> And the next day, the next day, I was just in this horrible headspace. I guess residual Christian guilt or whatever. I don't know. But it was a Back to the Future marathon. Uh huh. And so now I get this like PTSD response that I'm coming out of. Like I, I, I think I watched it maybe a year or two ago and was like, I made it through fine. But yeah, I always get this like this crushing guilt, debilitating guilt comes over me when I watch Back to the Future. Fascinating. I didn't know this about you. I'll try not to trigger that next time. Uh, we're hanging I think out. I've made, I think I've made strides. You know the third. You, did you ever watch the third one? Yeah. In the third one, yeah. they build this time machine yeah. out of a train, and they fuel it with these like colored logs. Right. I don't know what they are? It's like when they go to the wild west. Right. Bit, yeah. This is the logs that fuel the time machine, my friends. The yellow legal pad. <laughs> Probably could have got to that point a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, content, baby. This is the content making. This is our grift. <laughs> um, no, so the so the particular grift I want to talk about today, we've talked about a lot of them on the show before, the creative placemaking grift, the thoughtful coal miner grift. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what I like to call the grit grift. The grit grift. The grit grift. You hear a lot about this, especially in relation to investment and philanthropy. This is all you always hear. You always hear some invocation of grit. It's not going to be easy, but we're tough. We've always made it. <laughs> yeah, we've always had grit. I was, I was, uh, and I should, I should just say that, uh, you know. Perhaps we benefit from the great economy a little bit. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But it was funny because I, I I was interviewing somebody that was starting this business, and they said, you know, it's one of these deals where they're like trying to like uh, drive retrain coal miners and like mm-hmm. get them to do something else. And the person that started the business was like, well, if they can make it seven miles underground. <laughs> Surely to God they can do, you know. They can learn Linux. They can learn Linux. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you hear a lot because um, what they're saying. I don't know. I, I now I start to st- sort of dissect it and think about it a lot. But I feel like I hear it talked about a lot when <clears throat> we're discussing sort of like new economic models or sort of yeah. like transitioning to a new economy or whatever. Because I guess what they're saying is that, like, we're determined enough to beg rich people hard enough <laughs> to get them to give us money. To dance for our dinner. That's great, baby. That's great. Yeah. I also like when in these same, invariably in these same pieces, they always say something like, now, coal miners aren't dumb. <laughs> yeah. 
Now you go try going seven miles underground and running a bolt machine. Now you call that dumb. Yeah, right. And see if you can call that person dumb. It's it is so bizarre. They use so the, condescending. They use the coal like. miner. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. They do it in the same way that the right wing does, but for their own sort of like purposes. Yeah. Um, but the best example of this that I've seen lately is this article in the Lyston Herald Leader. <laughs> And the 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 headline for it itself could be a perfect sort of example of the great grift. It says Appalachia, the next great investment. And I've only I've only cut out one little section of this that I want to read. Like this, here's the nugget. I went sifting through this thing just to find the nugget. <clears throat> and this shit is hilarious, dog. I laugh so fucking hard. National foundations spend $4,000 per capita annually in places like New York and San Francisco. In Appalachia, that number goes down to $12 (laughs) per capita annually. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fucking hilarious. It's such a race to the bottom. It's, um... Last year, our foundation distributed $3.4 million across southeastern Kentucky. We didn't do it because we have a lot of financial resources. We did it because we have a lot of grit. Oh, God. We did it because we have enough courage. That's just the kind of people we are. <laughs> yeah. To believe there is a future for a big swath of our nation that does not exist in urban centers around the coast. That's real. That's the nugget. That's the nugget I wanted to cut out of that motherfucker. Here's my question. Here's my question. And I guess... The two might be inextricably linked at this point, at least where Appalachia is concerned. How would you differentiate between investment and philanthropy? Like you oftentimes hear like ex rich person is setting up foundation to put money into to invest in the lives of young people like a scholarship fund right. or something like that. Right. But like in Appalachia, that usually translates to. Uh, we're going to give a little seed money to this uh, to this uh, this uh, ambitious coal miner that wants to start a, a fuck I don't know the a best, farm or the, something. Well, to me, the best example of the grit grift or the best sort of commodity, the, the finished product, yeah. the shiny object that comes out on the other end of the fucking human centipede or whatever, yeah. is is the art space. That's it, the art space, which is which is <laughs> just an abstraction. <laughs> Yeah, the art space. That's it. You gotta wave your hand like this. Picture it, man. It's a lead certified <laughs> platinum building. It's right. gonna run off uh, fucking uh, glue <laughs> and uh, three day old chipmunk carcasses. <laughs> yeah, right here, baby. Right here in this house is where we're might we're <laughs> supplying the uh, the shit for that for that power plant. Um, but it's funny to me um, because basically what it's saying is that like it's belly aching over the fact that Appalachia doesn't get as much philanthropy dollars and rural areas in general. And that's, I mean, and that's it. It hints at a larger sort of like prejudice in our society, yeah. right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like that that um, we don't prioritize uh, the lives of people. Yeah. But basically what you're saying is that all you're saying is rich people don't prioritize the lives of people. And we already fucking know that. And we are. That's that's not news. <laughs> like this re- the, the reason that poverty and all these other problems exist here is because of that basic fact. And that and that, too, connected to that is my I think, you know, you know, if many episodes back when we were talking about I made that joke about like 
going to McDonald's for lunch and them asking for money for the Ronald McDonald house. And yeah, like, right. I was like, fuck no in my head, but I still gave them the buck because like, I didn't yeah, want to like an asshole. Yeah, you don't want the person buying you think you're My asshole. problem with philanthropy is I'm not saying that philanthropy doesn't do a lot of good. Like, I think we'd be remiss to say that like if some, if fu- even fucking some vile son of a bitch like Jeff Bezos gives $50,000 for somebody to go to college, that's a good thing. What we're saying is philanthropy lets them off the hook mm-hmm. when we could just take all their fucking money and put many more kids through college yeah, you, than just like the 12 they pick. You're exactly right. You know. What it does is it doesn't address the fundamental issue of the the power dynamics. Right. It doesn't it, it doesn't address power relations. And if you're not doing anything to upend those things, you're you're not changing anything. Right. It's just an aesthetic change. Right. So I mean it's interesting to think about and the reason why I'm harping so much on this and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because if you're a young like let's say for example you are a young idealist like uh, us, you know, you're you have a leftist sort of like political view and you live in an Appalachian community. You can even probably extrapolate this to rural, other rural places. But like, let's say you've identified a problem in your community that you want to fix. And uh, let's say the problem is poverty and all its attendant issues that are contained within that. <laughs> Just going for the big one, <laughs> aren't you? Going, you're going for the big one. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're like me. You want to change the world. You want to, you know, you, right. you dream big. <laughs> you, you really only have... Um, like, let's say, like, okay, so for example, like, you know, you really only have, like, a few routes to go to sort of, like, engage with that problem. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, though, what route you take, the two that I'm about to lay out here. It doesn't matter what route you take. It's going to be mediated by a larger nonprofit industrial, like, industry. Yeah. And so there's really two kinds of nonprofits that fit into this sort of industry. There's the first kind, which is one the the kinds that are basically holding shit together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're just they're providing basic resources like housing or food or um, uh, legal resources or representation or whatever. Right. And and so they're you know they're sort of just holding things together. <laughs> While everything is becoming more and more privatized, more and more uh, just sort of unraveled because of the relentless drive of capitalism right. um, in markets. And the second route would be the second route is the kind of nonprofit. And I've worked for both of these kind of nonprofits. The second route is the kind that thinks that it's going to be able to somehow influence or manipulate the political system to pass some sort of legislation that's like bolsters the middle class or some vague bullshit like that you know what i mean regardless it is a highly idealistic utopian vision that thinks that like it's going to somehow and i guess maybe you could sort of put a third sort of nonprofit in there which is more along the the lines of the grit grift which is that like oh we're just going to build art spaces you know and that'll or community theaters or whatever and that will somehow Lift people out of heart. Man, I I preached the gospel of the arts based community for a long time solely because I like the aesthetic of it and not the efficacy of it right. to change people's lives. And I think that's what people do. Yeah. In that space. <clears throat> yeah. And well, so, you know, I've, I've noticed that there are, more, there are obviously far more resources, just from my personal experience, there are far more resources available for the second and third kinds of nonprofits. The oh, ones. Yeah that think that there's some fucking magic or political power of persuasion, they're going to go to Hal Rogers and beg him to, to treat us like we're 
human beings or something. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And then and there's more resources for that kind and for the third kind, the kind the art space or whatever. Right. There's not a whole lot of resources available for the first kind, which is just holding shit together. Right. <clears throat> but regardless, none of them address the fundamental problem here, which is a system that pushes people out of the political and economic process. And um, as we were saying recently, uh, you know, you've got a system in all these local counties where there are quite literally like six people at the top. Yeah. The very wealthiest people. Yeah. And um, any kind of development project, whether it's a piece of legislation like the Reclaim Act or whatever that uses abandoned mine lands money or whatever to fucking clean clean up subject uh abandoned coal mines to the market and try to squeeze as much fucking capital out of that as possible right. or like the other kind like building art spaces or whatever like if you're not addressing the fundamental issue that and like let's, let's let's also just say we're not against pretty buildings either yeah i mean, we, like we, yeah we, we, we like art spaces or these ideas right. of art spaces right, right right we just think you should go about that a different way well i think what it is is it all comes down to ownership and it all right. comes down to autonomy and if you're not addressing the fact that like <laughs> what are you laughing about art spaces <laughs> are uh before the people <laughs> they can be they can be they can be for the people if you're not like addressing the fundamental issue of 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 autonomy, ownership, and who gets a say in in the direction of the community, right, and how its resources are allocated, that's really what it is. That's the fucking and thing. what they how love, to, well, how they love to navigate that, and and I've been guilty of this, and you know, even in my own work, I've been guilty of this, is. We want to hold community meetings for community buy-in and input, <laughs> yeah. but that basically means we just want to get like the same twelve people we've been organizing with in a room together, mm -hmm. and have little Caesar's pizza, <laughs> fucking sandwich cookies, right, and blow smoke up each and other's ass. Blow about. smoke up each other's ass for about two hours. Build the nonprofit for that time and go home. But that's yeah. not that's that's not what that should look like. Well. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Well, and so the reason that it <clears throat> pisses me off so much is because so much energy and resources are poured into that. Whereas, and, and so now I think the effect that that winds up having is it takes energy out of a movement that would otherwise be building sort of revolutionary tension and trying to, a movement that challenges the power relations that keep the people... Uh, out of the processes of resource resource allocation and all these other things, yeah, it it is quite literally detrimental in in a lot of ways to liberation and to empowerment. Yeah, and I think we got to be real about that. Yeah, but it also has this weird way of rehabilitating people that have taken out of here. Yes, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. Because then the peop like the original people that. I mean, like all these coal barons give money to to shit like yeah. that. Yeah, you know what I'm you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> like yeah. like some of the worst elements in society, <laughs> the real worst elements in society, yep. are the most ballyhooed people in these kind of things. It's true. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Yeah. No. I, I, I. One of the reasons that I, this has been on my mind so uh so much lately is because I've been hearing this word a lot in the nonprofit world, and maybe you've heard this too. I don't know, but um. You say synergy, I swear to God, I'm throwing this microphone. <laughs> no, but it's about as good as synergy. Um, and I found, and I heard this word first 
in this article that was actually you remember when Tanya was on like three weeks ago and she was talking about that conference she went to in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I found this article written in the Daily Honor actually about that conference. Um, that was about like how you know a lot of the things that the conference didn't address rural issues and all this other stuff. Um, but this word they keep using in the nonprofit world is equity. Have you heard this? I mean, I've heard it in the sense of like equity and inclusion. They're using it for a specific equity, diversity, and inclusion is kind of like the common refrain <laughs> <in> here, <laughs> which is just like tokenizing. I don't understand. I don't understand it, and I've and I can't get a clear answer from anybody on what it actually is. I've got I I, I get I get a lot of like sort of subterfuge, <laughs> yeah, and meta, yeah, exactly. People say it's an ongoing process and it's inclusion and it's like, and it's it's different from equality in the sense that like equality indicates that you could have political rights like voting but not you know uh egalitarian status with other people or i don't know what other regardless it is this weird nebulous term and we got to talking about it yesterday at the office and it's just like and i think the fact that they can't that i can't get a clear answer on it and that nobody can really define it 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 is the same thing with the thoughtful coal miner grift it is, if you actually defined it, if you actually addressed what you were doing, like by, you know, uh, making a big deal out of whatever it is, the grift would be up. The grift would be up, exactly. Once you create clarity, you've, the yes, grift is up. The grift is up, exactly, yeah. exactly. Once you cut through the bullshit, it renders it all invalid. Yeah. And and not and, and the scary part about that is that there is an entire nonprofit industry built on that idea and it, and so like once exactly once you've created clarity with that once you've actually started saying like um we're going to actually uh organize people to have literal control over not just the means of productions but resources themselves then you know and you're cutting out all that bullshit philanthropy dollars uh, philanthropy obligations and all this other shit well then exactly the grift is up there's no more use for any of those nonprofits or for any of these uh, foundations or anything like that. And this is, I don't know, it's just a, it's just a very simple thing of, of existential at, at, interest. It's, it's so funny, and this is like something that like, you know, I, I think people that I work with think I'm a little bit nuts sometimes. But when you look at what, like our sort of nonprofit sector is doing and then compare it to leftist organizations that build programs for <coughs> communities in mm -hmm. the past have built programs like that's the model they need to look at yeah building the fucking program yeah giving people money giving people what they exactly meeting their material needs right creating a not creating opportunities that they had they might have a chance at doing something in yeah yeah but actually giving them a chance <laughs> seriously literally yeah if you actually believe this shit if you actually buy into this that Appalachia is the next great investment I really want you to examine deep down what it is about that sentiment that you find so compelling or that you find uh, opens up pathways to uh, empowerment and liberation. Seriously, because every time you use that word investment, I don't know. I'm just another another thing about it to me. And again, you know, like we have, we work in this world. We have a lot of friends that work in this world, and we just we want to tell the truth about it. You know what I'm saying? 
Another thing that just is so off-putting to me is just using the language of capital in relationship to a place that has been so ravaged by capital. Exactly. Is really, really, really short-sighted at bed. That's being generous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being very generous in my assessment here. Exactly. Because we've seen this before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it didn't turn out so well. You're exactly right. And we're right. still reeling from it. Yeah, no, this place is a case study in how capitalism it's 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 a case study and i've realized that from the moment i moved here it's a case yeah. study in the sort of terminal logic of capitalism but, but also also the the sort of mechanisms that capital works through this it, it sort of mirrors exactly sort of what we're talking about with the nonprofit jargon with like equity and like you know creative placemaking synergy all these sort of words <laughs> that don't really mean a whole lot right they they're right. just abstractions like i'm saying like, there's people that work in Wall Street that don't fucking understand the derivatives market. <laughs> yeah. Because it's yeah. fucking bullshit. And that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. that's the, and that's the whole that's point. That's the whole fucking point. Once you create the conditions for confusion, <laughs> confusion is profitable, right? But once you create clarity yep. and lay bare what it's about, yep. then the grift is up. Exactly. And it's the same for capital. It's the same for nonprofit. Yeah. Well, and, and so, like, okay, so you could reasonably look at us and say, Tom, Terrence, like, these people don't have actual power. Why are you spending so much time, like, trying to demystify what it is that they do? The reason is, is because of the scenario I laid out earlier. Imagine a young idealist wanting to change things in their region, wanting to literally alter everything about it uh, to upend um, subjugation and, and repression and, and undo the ravages of capitalism and, and redistribute resources in an egalitarian way, create a better society. The, 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 the reason why I'm preaching about all this is because like, if you're that young person, your, your attempts to create that better society are so often stymied by, and I've experienced this personally, they're so often stymied by this industry, this nonprofit industry. They either suck the energy out of you to where they make you feel like a fucking commie lunatic, like, um, you know, naysayer, ultra leftist or something, yeah. or they uh, try to redirect your energy into complete, just dead ends. Right. Just dead ends. And it's, one, and it's, and it's the reason why we can't uh it's the reason why we can't realize anything greater it's why we can't build anything greater than that yeah i don't know it's i don't know if it makes sense no i think that's exactly right yeah well anyways that's the grit that's the grit grift you like that i think i think this is good <laughs> you like that yeah <laughs> um well, there's something else i want to say about it but i have got a piece so bad so uh, ho hold on quick. one second. There's something because there's something else I want to see. Sleep. I pray to the Lord, my soul you 
Okay, so this is part two of a of a of a series we were doing, and I'm trying to tie it back to the first one. The reason why we spent so much time, I feel like, harping on Blankenship and harking on his sort of like rise and fall, and about how the coal industry created the very specific conditions of this place, is um, and the reason why I'm now talking about the wide spectrum of the grift. Is because if you look at the history of this place, there have been a few moments when the sort of future of it and what it could mean and who gets to run it and who gets to allocate and distribute its very many resources. There's been a few moments where that has not been clear. Um, yeah. and, and it's important to think about that because right now we are in one of those moments the coal industry has, I mean, I can't really illustrate how quickly it's just sort of vaporized, just totally, just uh, totally left, other than the anecdote that our county used to take in about $4 million of coal severance money every year, just as recently as about three years ago. And now we're struggling to even get about 200000 yeah. Like, we are fucked. This, just the city that I used to be on the city council, we used to bring in... A million a year right and that was half our budget and yep. that number went to zero by the time i was left right. in 2014 so this doesn't have a whole lot to do with the current power structure as it exists in the sense that like this will not really affect the elites of the county in terms of people like uh jim booth in martin county don childers here what it will do is erode what very little sort of public welfare state we have here in the county public services um the whole notion of public service in general and we'll sort of concentrate even more wealth into the literally like five or six people who own everything in this yeah. fucking county I and mean, you see that happening with the prison like the people yes. that stand to gain most from this federal prison being built are those same characters exactly exactly and so it's this is an important thing to keep in mind because like as we um you know we're trying to attract young people into a movement that says things don't have to be this way we can live in a better society we can live in a more egalitarian society the wrong thing to do is to make them think that with enough fucking community theater or art spaces or whatever enough Enough uh, pining to these rich assholes. Yes, enough for, enough groveling for their money for those things. Exactly, enough groveling to fucking Hal Rogers. 
what to to give us like fucking scraps that that's going to change something yeah because it's not and it, and and again i'm saying this is someone who has operated in the sort of nonprofit world for a while and i'm just telling you what i've seen yeah <laughs> no i mean I, I i completely agree with that and what we need to do is we need to flip that on its head instead of you know begging hal rogers for our own money <laughs> yeah yeah for his guys to create things that maybe in theory you know they'll hire more people and they'll have some sort of generic benefit to the local economy what we need to do is hold his feet to the fire for his failures and you know fucking right. tie him to a horse and slap it on the ass but and this got cut uh out of the first part of this series uh, i because it was towards the end and i cut it out but like um, I was in a meeting the other day, um, and someone said, oh, you know, I guess Hal Rogers didn't have enough clout to get the Reclaim Act put into the budget. And it's just like, and Hal Rogers is our congressman or whatever, and I was just like fucking, like, flabbergasted. Like, how can you sit there and say that the person who managed to get the f- a federal prison, that, uh, the executive branch of the United States government had managed to remove from the budget had enough clout to get it included back in with 50 million more dollars after mind you after there's already sort of and i hate to use phrases like bipartisan consensus but bipartisan <laughs> consensus on the fact that we need less prisons yeah exactly it's like it's not even a popular idea yeah yeah <laughs> so, with anybody so that person who had enough power to do that didn't have enough power to get this little rinky dink fucking economic development bill yeah passed I'm sorry, but you're you've put it best many times. The rehabilitation of this asshole is fucking disgusting. Yeah. And if anything, the war on poverty should have shown us that like trying to grovel with these assholes or trying to like take private money or 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 build some sort of um robust industry that is outside of the coal industry's influence or the larger sort of extractive industry's influence that that will somehow as you like to say move the needle it's not it's I a got pipe a new dream. One. I it's got utopian. a new one for you it's foolhardy it's foolhardy the only thing that is and in, and I'm not the first person to point this out plenty of people pointed this out like the only thing that has re- historical precedent is revolution and I'm and again it sounds hokey but what I mean is that the only thing that has historical precedent of working is upending the systems that exist, the power relations, the power dynamics, and uh, and s- literally taking the resources that already exist and redistributing them. Yeah. That's it's that is not utopian. There's nothing about that that is a pipe dream. That is the that has way more fucking historical precedence than uh, your stupid ass idea of, of reformism of gro- groveling with these assholes to give just the treatise like human beings. Right. Right. Anyways, that's how you podcast. That's how you podcast, motherfucker. Dude, how funny was it last night? How funny was it last night when um, the hosts of that show said? Is it Appalachia or Appalachia? And everybody in the crowd was like, you, everybody, you can, oh, my God, it's Appalachia. <laughs> Don't you, like, I want to say something that's going to piss off a lot of our true believers. And I'm sorry, but I have to say this. Like, snobbery over the pronunciation of Appalachia is literally the dumbest goddamn shit. Go talk to the mayor of Whitesburg, James Craft. I dare you to find somebody more Appalachian than fucking James W. Craft. <laughs> And ask him how he pronounces it. 
I can't wait until I'm head of the Appalachian Regional Commission and I can just sort of start systematically eradicating all the last remnants of Appalachian culture. Instead of me busting into your house and being like, it's for all the people, I bust in your house and be like, I heard there's a fucking uh, iron skillet in here somewhere, a cast iron skillet. <laughs> I heard been needing your skillet. Yeah, I heard there was a banjo in here and some food, w- some literature about foodways. <laughs> <laughs> Just er- cough it er- up. Cough, yeah. Just systematically doing away with it. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody had, uh, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember who it was now, but uh, on Twitter said that uh, James Beard Awards are, yeah. are circle jerks for people that pay their dishwashers $2 an hour. That's uh, Katie, Sl- uh, Katie Slinen just said that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, I sh- thought, and I think that's shout spot out. the fuck on. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why it's spot the fuck on, it, it's actually funny that she tweeted that because um, literally I think the week that she tweeted that was um, the same week that I had gone to this um, – uh, this award ceremony in Heinemann and it really got me to thinking the whole reason I know it sort of sounds uh, it's a sort of a bit like oh I'm ahead of the ARC I'm gonna start to f- you know fucking kick you in your door to get your um, your banjo and etc yeah. but the reason why is because like those things are not pathways to change they're not emblematic of any sort of like transcendental state of na- of reality or nature or society yeah. they they foodways uh cultural preservation or whatever they are not some they are not pathways to political change right i'm sorry that they're i'm just they're just not yeah. <laughs> but i mean i mean they're as again as a sort of like anthropologist scientist historian whatever i appreciate it. it's kind of cool like i like to learn about food waste sure i like i like that i like i even like eating at some of right. these places but i hate is, that about myself it is, but yeah it's but to pretend like that is the way to a fucking new economy or whatever the just transition these fucking dumbass terms I, it's a pipe dream the only way forward is through upheaval. I don't know what else. To, I can't not say it enough. Yeah, I can't say it that's enough. it. That's it. We don't need need to sugarcoat that. Don't need to try to change that. That needs to right. be what we're about. Period. Right. 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 Yeah. But anyway, we should do a whole episode about the James Beard, the y'all culture. <laughs> yeah, y'all, the y'all culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll do that. Yeah. Well, point. this one's and this again, it's kind of like it's kind of like this. It's like. I'm kind of making fun of myself a little bit out yeah. of that because I I came out of that shit, you buddy. Know I mean? I'm a fucking literal outsider. I'm the epitome of like a liberal, uh, sort of upper middle class do gooder who wants to whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, um, but at the same time, I mean that's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're poking fun at ourselves just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I live in a fucking cabin. No, there's is nothing. There's is nothing. there anything more cliche? We than work that? at nonprofits. <laughs> we live in cabins. Like we are, we are, we are, we are who we are, who we're making fun of here in this one. So right, if anybody feels any kind of way about it, just know that. that right, we're right. Just, we're trying to better ourselves too. We're trying, trying to, to push you all in the right fucking direction. Well, and also because like day to day existence in this world is a bit like a sort of kafka-esque nightmare (laughs) just in the sense that like you go you open up your emails you get six requests for a coal miner who fucking had stage four lymphoma and voted for trump and like 
is doesn't regret it. Also it, happens to be a bath. Also has to be a part of the bath party, <laughs> a member of the bath party. Uh, and then you go to a meeting where they talk about equity and no one knows what it means. And um, it's just this constant, like, it's this constant, like, sort of game of trying to, like, parse out like what it is exactly we're doing yeah and if it's if it's moving the needle <laughs> ultimately if it's not moving the needle <laughs> motherfucker i will never not laugh now every time i hear the term moving the needle man you know it's funny just talking about it and this just a little teaser from when we did the y'all thing we should just like cut that well this should be like a i don't know anyway I got that uh, the Oxford American Kentucky music issue. Yeah. And without without even fucking opening it. Without even fucking <laughs> opening it. You know how it's got like the C D with all the songs? Yes. Yeah. Like from every region or whatever. Mm-hmm. Without even opening it, I knew beyond a shadow of a fucking doubt that Shady Grove by Gene Ritchie was gonna be on that. <laughs> like with no with no other knowledge. Shady Grove by Gene Ritchie is like the fucking hipster, like mm-hmm. uh, goddamn, what's the Journey song? Oh, Don't uh, Stop don't Believing. Stop believing. Yeah. yeah, or, or Freebird. Wagon Wheel. Or Wagon Wheel, whatever. You it is the fucking, right. the person that like is tangentially related to Appalachian, loves to play old time music and all that bullshit. <laughs> Shady Grove is their fucking. That's the thing that really. Uh, and I like Gene Ritchie. I'm not, I'm just saying that song is yeah. like, you know. That's the thing that really is really confusing to me. It's like um, people who work at like double quick gas stations don't go home and play the banjo. And like, I'm sure that there are one or two. There's the random unicorn. No, anywhere. I mean, yeah. Well, listen, listen. I'm not discounting that. Like, I'm not discounting even like people that are into the banjo or whatever playing that old time music. But just know that is not everybody's experience. And I think Rebecca Young put this best when she said that real Appalachians don't drink bourbon and listen to old time music. Right. They, they, uh, they drink Crown Royal and listen to Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but again, it's this issue though. It's this problem of thinking that like through culture and cultural expression, cultural preservation, things like old time music and food ways and stuff that you're going to get to some point where um, we have created a, a, pol- a local political system and economic system that is not n- dependent on this um, totally just vampire-esque um, political, uh, economic system, capitalism, markets. Uh, and, and that's a pipe dream. It's, a not, it's, it's literally the opposite. Yeah. It's, and I'm not, again, I'm not the first person to point this out, but like culture is created out of political systems. It's, it's created out of this sort of political economy, not the other way around. Right. It's, I don't know. It's really bizarre, man. And that's the whole thing about like uh, creative placemaking too. It's like trying to just sort of like dodge around the issue of capitalism and subjugation and marginalization and be like, oh, well, we're just going to create a separate culture entirely where we tell stories. Yeah. Fuck. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I've been invited to a story circle. Fucking kidding me. I feel like banging my head against the wall. Anyways. Is it Appalachia or a- Appalachia, my friend? It's, uh, <laughs> call it, uh, uh, fuck, who said, never mind. <laughs> you were, you were at the finish line and you, you were, 
Let's put this one in the can, and this way I can get on the road. All right, man. Heading to Ohio, baby. Get on the road. Heading to Columbus. 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 Columbus, Ohio. All right. Uh, what did you, what song did you want to go out on? Uh, Young Bands, Rap Through You. All right. I'll, I'll check that out. Man, really, I just been going through a lot of shit. This pipe.